0: Are you glad you came to church today how incredible is it that we get to celebrate not only the 5000th person baptized last weekend but 5120 people baptized since april 3rd 2011 the launch of the church and um it's incredible and not only was it just a wild weekend with water baptisms but last weekend was the third time since the first Sunday back in January that we have crushed all-time attendance records non-holiday attendance first time well over 7000 people across all of the locations what an incredible what an incredible weekend and we celebrate because heaven celebrates so we're not we're not celebrating because we think we're all that. We know we're not. We're celebrating because we know God's all that and He's doing an incredible work. Amen. So, can we honor Jesus together? Come on. You guys can go ahead and have a seat at every location. I, I do want you to know this that um, Short North setting records, Whitehall setting records, Polaris setting records, Hilliard setting records. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in the church. Thank you for how you're building the church. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word today. Change us, transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And as you are doing an incredible work in the church, may we respond in a way that would hopefully be helpful to what you're doing. We want to be helpful. We want to be used by you. We want this story to continue. We love what you're doing here. We don't want to slow it down or stop it. We ask you to continue to bring many people to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Whitehall, Shore North, Polaris, Hilliard, welcome. If you're tuned in on television, online, or you're joining us from one of the many prisons, correctional facilities from all across the nation, come on, church, let's welcome our friends and family. We're glad you are worshiping with us. They, they told us a few years ago that churches would never be full again. Just shows you what they know. Really shows you more what they don't know. Come on, somebody. <laughs> they don't know what they don't know. We're in the second week of a five-week series on the Holy Spirit. Last week, we started the Holy Spirit series by asking this question, who is the Holy Spirit? And I believe the most important takeaway when it comes to understanding and engaging the Holy Spirit in our lives is something that Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit and that is Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit is not an it or an object but the third person in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son who is Jesus and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit is a person and when we understand him as a person that's going to change how we relate to the Holy Spirit. We also learned last week that the Holy Spirit is not weird and that the Holy Spirit does not make people weird, even though sometimes he gets a bad rap for doing so. And I just I caution the church to let's not confuse the Holy Spirit for someone who's maybe not represented him well. Amen. Just like we ought not confuse Jesus for someone that's not represented Jesus well. How many of you know there's been a lot of people over the years who've not represented Jesus very well? So sometimes when you look at his followers, you don't want to follow him because you think if he's anything like his followers are the ones I've seen, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. But, but really what, what it shows is that, that his heart is so much bigger than ours. He is gracious and patient and loving and kind. Amen that he would allow any of us to bear his name, that he would allow any of us to carry within us his Holy Spirit. Jesus says the same thing about the Holy Spirit that he said of the Father in heaven. Speaking of the Father, Jesus said, if you want to know my Father in heaven, get to know me. You actually know my Father if you know me. If you want to to know who he is, get to know who I am. You've seen my Father because you've seen me. Jesus in John chapter 14 verse 17 says the same thing to the disciples of the Holy Spirit that they've not even received yet. He said this to them, but you already know him even though I've not sent him to you yet because he dwells with you. This is Jesus talking about himself. Jesus is God with us. And of the Holy Spirit, he says, and he will be in you. The Holy Spirit is God in you. Jesus is God with us. The Holy Spirit is God in us. And according to Jesus, who said it is to your advantage that I would go away from you so that the Holy Spirit will come to you and be in you. Jesus is telling us that God in us is better than God with us in the flesh so that's what we learn about the Holy Spirit from Jesus. He is a person to be known. He is a person that I can be in relationship with. And so let's talk about the person of the Holy Spirit and what makes a person a person. According to the National Institute of Health, the conditions that make up personhood include rationality, self-consciousness, the capacity to exchange care and ideas, the ability to verbally communicate, self-consciousness now this isn't uh, the the total or complete definition of personhood because let's just be honest one thing we've learned over the past several years now is that the experts are getting dumber and dumber and the word of God is just making a lot more sense can I get an amen from somebody who is seeing that and recognizes That I would be remiss if not to just say this, that that this particular definition is often used by those who want to discredit the person in the womb. But we need to understand that there is a difference between a fully developed person and a person that is being developed, but it doesn't make the person any less a person. Other suggested criteria for what makes a person a person is this, the ability to think and to reason, a notion of past and present and future, the possession of rights and of duties, agency, self-motivated activity, and the capacity to feel pain. Now, again, I would submit to you that this is not a complete definition for what makes a person a person. But if you break down those definitions, those qualities, I, I think you're going to be able to at least visualize what, what might that look like in God, the Father. We all have sort of a, an image of what a father ought to look like, what a father does look like. We're familiar with fathers. We, we can apply it easily to Christ the Son because he is the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And yet, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we we might have a bit more of a hard time wrapping these attributes of personhood around the, the person of the Holy Spirit. Though, if we go back to what Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit, that he is not part God, but that he is fully God, that would mean that every attribute of God is an attribute of the Holy Spirit of God. And that though we cannot see the Holy Spirit, he is unseen, the invisible God. Romans chapter 1 says this, that his invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen in nature, being understood through what has been made. In other words, when we look to certain elements of god 's visible creation, we come to learn something and understand something about god's invisible nature and being, considering humankind and what makes a person a person, according to the creation account in Genesis chapter one verse twenty seven where we read God created mankind in his own image in the image of God He created them male and female he created them, that you and I are created by God to reflect God, not to look or to act or to be exactly like God, but like enough to reflect God and his image in the world. We read in John chapter four, verse 24 of God's image that God is spirit. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 that, 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 that the desire of the Lord is that the God of peace would make us holy in every way. Not just in part of ourselves but in every way. That, that, that our whole spirit and whole soul and whole body would be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. We see how that as God is a three-in-one spirit being, so too are we a three-in-one spirit being. And I, I believe it is in this passage that we get the most basic and biblical definition for what makes a person a person. And that is a person is a spirit being as God is a spirit being with a soul and with a body. We've taught this many times that we can each say, I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. And we all understand, pretty much understand the makeup of the body. But a person's soul, what does a person's soul consist of? A person's soul consists of the mind, the will, and the emotions of that Person. It is the soul that gives us the characteristics of our personhood, our personality. And though maybe you've not stopped to think about, does God have a soul? Does God have a personality? According to Matthew 12, 18, he does. Here we see God the Father saying, Of Christ the Son, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. God the Father has a soul a mind, a will, emotions. We hear Christ the Son speak of his own soul in Matthew 26, verse 38, as he is crying out in the garden of Gethsemane, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Christ the Son has a mind, a will, emotions. We read throughout the word of God's will, God's mind, as do we the will and the mind of Christ. And again, in the garden, we see Christ submitting his own will, to the will of his Father in heaven. So too, we see throughout the scripture that the Holy Spirit has a mind and a soul. And isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit chooses to dwell within a body, within every body who's ever called upon the name of Jesus and is saved. He's not just confined to a body or to many bodies, though he does choose to dwell within every person who belongs to Christ. The moment you're saved, you are forgiven of your sin. You are guaranteed the promise of everlasting life with Christ in heaven. And you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And the moment you're saved, you are also commissioned for the rest of your life to walk in step with the Spirit of God, to be in relationship with the Spirit of God, and to be one with the Spirit of God inside of you. So let's unpack for the next few moments the mind the will, and the emotions of the Holy Spirit, the mind of the Spirit, which is the mind of God. In John 16, verse 13 and 15, we read, these are the words of Jesus. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, I would just stop and say this, to guide into any truth means he must know some truth and to have any sort of knowledge or truth knowledge that knowledge has to be stored somewhere. Can, can we all agree that, that there must be a mind present of the spirit of God and that in order to guide into all truth, he, he must know all truth and that truth has to be stored somewhere, somehow. And yet even more than that, Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, he will not speak on his own, in other words, he's submitting his own will, his own mind to who? He will speak only what he hears. The Holy Spirit will speak, will receive from me, said Jesus, what he will make known to you. So the Holy Spirit in his will and in his mind does not have his own will and his own mind and that it is separated from God the Father and Christ the Son in, in, in what it desires, but that he shares the will and the heart and the mind of God And I, I just want us to understand how powerful this concept is in that when you are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, you have somebody living inside of you, the Spirit of God inside of you, who understands and knows the perfect mind of God, what God thinks, how God thinks, why God thinks what he thinks, and he wants to help you and me think the way God thinks. If you've ever wondered what is the mind of God, what does God think about this particular moment, about this particular problem, about this particular challenge, he has a thought. And the spirit of God inside of you who knows perfectly the mind of God wants to make the mind of God known to you. What's really amazing about the Holy Spirit is that before the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2, the church is born. Prior to Acts chapter 2, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit among us, entire generations of people lived where only one or maybe two or a very Few, a small handful of people get, get given any city or nation, sometimes for an entire generation. There would only be one or a very small few of people who have the ability to hear from the Lord. And everybody else living had to rely on one person, Elijah, Moses, Elisha, Samuel. One person would hear from God sometimes for an entire generation, and then everybody else had to trust that that person was hearing correctly. And yet what's amazing about what happens in Acts chapter 2 is that everything changes. And no wonder Jesus said it is better because now that the Holy Spirit of God dwells within his church, within every body who calls upon the name of Jesus, we don't need an intermediary, a go-between, a hard-to-find prophet to hear from the Lord. We can hear from the Lord right here and right now where we are and wherever we are. The Holy Spirit is not confined to one man or to a few men or women, woman, and he is not in some far off and hard to reach place. He is right here. He is right now in you, in me, and he is speaking. He is speaking. Now, the obvious challenge is this. It's really twofold. Number one, a lot of times He's speaking, uh, but well, all the time he's speaking. But a lot of times when he speaks, I'm not listening. Can I get an amen from anybody? Amen. He's speaking. Now we have his written word, so if you want to know what does God say, just read the Bible. He's not the Spirit of God inside of you is not going to direct you anywhere outside of what God has already spoken. So, we'll, we'll break down the will of the Holy Spirit in a moment. But I just want to say, sometimes when he speaks, we're not listening. The other challenge is, is a lot of times what he speaks, I actually wish he didn't say. Sometimes when he speaks, I hear him, and it it's not what I wanted to hear. Now, I ought to speak for me and say a lot of days, if not most days, my mind and the mind of the Holy Spirit are very wide and far apart. Like, I wonder if I'm the only one who can prove Isaiah 55:8 true, that my thoughts, says the Lord, are not your thoughts. I had somebody after church last weekend ask me a question. Uh, This lady said, what do you do when you get angry? I said, I I don't really know. I never really stopped to think about it. I know what we should do when we get angry, but I don't know what I do do when I get angry to have a quick answer for you. And uh, just a few hours later, I found out. (laughs) Found out. I had a friend in our church send me a text message. He said, Pastor Chad, um, you need to see this. My teenage son sent me to the Dublin library to review a comic book for him, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic book. When I got to the Dublin library, I went to the teenage comic book section, and what I found was this, that the teenage comic book section shares the same section as the adult comic books. And it's not that they put the adult comic books up high and the younger comic books down low. It's that they put them all together side by side. And some of the worst of the worst adult comic books were not on the top shelf but on the bottom shelf. And y'all just need to know that's on purpose. That's on purpose because the, 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 the devil and everybody he works through, they, they want... Uh, uh, an 11-year-old boy to to pick up Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and then one comic book over to pick up Sex Criminals, the comic book, and to be looking at obscene and perverted pornography at the Dublin Library. Now, I was so angry, I'll tell you what was in my mind. What was in my mind had a lot to do with kerosene and matches. (laughs) I Had a lot going on in my mind. I thought I know how to save the world. (laughs) Now, can I tell you this? I promise you, don't get any ideas from me, please. Some of you are sitting in jail right now. You're like, that's me. I know. I had to say, (laughs) listen, no, don't, don't. I promise you that's not on God's mind. God does not think like that. I had to in that moment say, Lord, I need you to take control of this crooked, warped, and messed up mind of mine so that I can submit my mind to your mind. You see, he's called the spirit of truth. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, the spirit of knowledge. Why? Because he has knowledge. He has wisdom. He has revelation. And he'll give it to you. And not only does he know what what is to be known or what's already known or what has been done, but he has the ability to tell you what is yet to come like he knows the future and i'm not telling you that he's going to he's going to he's going to reveal to you like the winning lottery numbers this week or or what what team is going to win and what the spread's going to be and i'm not saying he he's always going to tell you intimate details of the future but like i'll tell you how that worked for me he let me see that if i were to go ahead with what i thought in my head might be a good plan that i would be in jail he let me know that, hey, you, you do that, it's not going to reflect so good on me. It's not going to reflect so good on you. It's not going to reflect so good on the church. And I know my wife is watching right now from our Polaris location because that's where she's at today. And she's thinking, yeah, because you didn't tell me you were going to use this example. And this reflects bad on me. But what we need to understand about the Spirit of God and about the mind of God is that he has perfect now knowledge, he has future, uh, perfect now sight, he has perfect hindsight, and he has perfect foresight. And that no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16. 11. And so if I want to know the thoughts of God, I have to be in relationship with the spirit of God and pay attention to the spirit of God so that I would be transformed by the renewing of my mind, that my mind would start to look more like his mind. Then would I be able to test and approve of what God's will is, his good and perfect and pleasing will. Which is one of the biggest questions pastors get asked all the time is, how do I know God's will? What, how do I know what God wants me to do? What God wants me to say? Where God wants me to go? What, who God wants me to date? And apparently God knew and knows that we struggle with this from time to time, which is why in Romans eight twenty seven it says that the spirit of God is interceding for God's people in accordance to the will of God. That you have somebody living inside of you who... Knows the perfect will of God, desires what God desires, wants to help you desire what God desires, and he's so committed to helping you think the way God thinks and know the will of God for your life that he is praying for you, interceding for you 24-7, that you would pick up what he's laying down. He is committed to you. When it comes to God's will, we can break this down into two sort of categories, his general will and his specific will. And you can think about it like this. God's general will is what he desires for everyone, everywhere, and for all of time. 2 Peter 3, 9. For God does not want anyone to be destroyed, but everyone to turn from their sins it's 1 Thessalonians 5, for this is God's will. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all situations. It's Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the Ten Commandments. Do not steal, do not kill. There's never a good time to steal or to kill. This is God's desire that can be applied to anyone and everyone, anywhere. And everywhere, this isn't something we really have to think all that hard about. Just read your Bible. You will know and understand the general will of God. His specific will is a bit more complicated at times to figure out. It's the reason that I was asked by a friend this past week, would you pray with me and for me? Because I have two job opportunities and I don't know which one to take. I don't know which one God wants me to take. I have another friend who is, is, is a, a coach at the collegiate level, and, and he's saying, look, I don't know if I should stay at the collegiate level and continue coaching or if I should move into the NFL. And I just told him, look, I've never read a Bible verse that, that says the NFL is better or college football is better. I suppose if there were a, a Bible verse, it might say NFL is better in 2024 because it'll be easier, but there's not a verse. I don't know. What I do know is sometimes I think we just need to be reminded because we can get stuck. I, I, I see so many Christians get stuck because we're, we're so afraid we're going to get outside of the will of God. We end up doing nothing significant with our lives. And we, I think we just need to be reminded that God doesn't want us to fail. He, 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 He's not excited or happy when we fail. He's not trying to get us to fail. But he's the God who said, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to purposefully trip you up and to cause you harm, but to give you hope in the future. Sometimes I think we can get so concerned that we're gonna get it wrong. Maybe the options in front of you aren't right and wrong. Maybe it's just two good options and God just giving you permission to pick. Like I've I've heard from from so many who've asked the question like, like, is there only one right person for every person to marry? Like, I hope not. Because if there's only ever one right person for every person to marry, all it would have ever taken was for one person to marry the wrong person. And now the entire people pool of people who will ever be married is all screwed up because one person picked the wrong person. You messed it up for everybody. Sometimes I think we're too hard on ourselves. Polaris is a great example. When Polaris, the opportunity was given to us, this was just six months after we had moved into this space, our Hilliard campus. Six months later, we were given the option for Polaris. We had no plans for that, we, that was not our thought. We, we weren't even dreaming. Of it, but when we were offered that opportunity, we, we, we prayed about it as a leadership team. And our conviction as a team is that when God gives you something, it's to steward, it's not to squander. And so we, we weren't quite sure, to be honest, what God was doing or why. So what we said was this, Lord, if you choose to give us this property Here's what we're planning to do with it. We're going to steward every square inch of it because we don't think, God, that you're wanting us to fail. We don't think you're trying to set up the church to do something big so that it just flops and falls on its face. We think you might need a really big, spirit filled and thriving church planted in the fastest growing part of the fastest growing city in the nation, said Bank of America just this past week. Columbus, Ohio, fastest growing city in the United States of America, and then you look at where Polaris is situated, it's situated in the fastest growing part of the fastest growing city in the United States of America. So we don't think that, that you, you, you're gonna want less churches. We think you're gonna want more. And so here's what we're gonna do, Lord. If you give it to us, we will steward every square inch, whatever it takes, no matter the cost, we'll do that work for you. Now, if you don't like our plans, if they're not your plans, if you don't want us to move forward, then shut the door. I've prayed that prayer. I've asked the Lord because I'm a dreamer. I like to run fast. My, my motto is run fast, fight hard, finish strong. And so I, I can run fast. We we can go after things. And I will often ask the Lord, Lord, if you ever want me to stop, just slow me down, shut the door. And there have been moments where we've been grasping for something that we really desired. And we said, Lord, but if you don't want us to have it, shut the door. And he did. We're like, well, actually, I don't, wasn't really asking you to shut the door. I just thought that was the prayer we were supposed to pray. But we trust you. And so we said, shut the door. If you don't want Polaris to happen, shut the door. Thank God he did not shut the door. I just want to remind you that God is not trying to cause you to trip up or to fail. He will speak to you. The question is, are you listening? When it comes to his general will, just read your Bible and obey it. When it comes to his specific will, you've got to lend your ear to the voice of his Holy Spirit inside of you. Amen. You've got to listen. He will speak. He is speaking. He will tell you. He will lead you. I'll also say this: if you ask me for advice on on what do I do, I'll often say just follow the peace. Follow the peace. Because where God is, there's, there's peace. He's not the author of chaos. The enemy's the author of chaos. If, if, if you feel like this is chaotic and there's just no peace, don't go there. If there's peace here, go there. God is a God of peace, amen? Follow the peace. Now, I'm almost out of time, so I gotta kind of race to get through the emotion of the spirit. And I've just got one, one emotion to share with you. And it's not joy or sadness or anger or compassion think we're gonna take a big chunk of our summer this year and walk through the nine fruits of the Spirit. We've never actually done a series on the nine fruits of the Spirit. But there's one emotion in Ephesians chapter four, verse 30, I don't know if you ever, ever really thought about it, where it says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Cause grief, do not cause pain to the Holy Spirit. Now, if The Holy Spirit is not a person to you. Maybe it doesn't matter so much. Or if he's a person, but he's not real close to you, you're not real close to the Holy Spirit. All I know is this, when it comes to the people that I love the most, I actually care how my actions impact them. When it comes to people I don't care about that much, I care less. If you love the Holy Spirit, if you are in love with the Lord, if you care about your relationship with God who is inside of you, do you care about the sin in your life that grieves the Holy Spirit? Because when it comes to what grieves the Holy Spirit, sin grieves the Holy Spirit because sin disrupts and severs our relationship with the Lord. And I suppose I could just sort of sit on this and and have us all walk away today just simply thinking about us. Maybe some of you need to. Maybe I need to. Maybe we just need to sort of sit with this thought. What sin have I allowed or, or maybe have I held on to? I've allowed it to remain. But it's actually grieving God inside of me. When's the last time I've been grieved by something that I've allowed in my own life that is grieving the heart of God? But if we zoom out from that passage just a few verses, it's not just sin, there's a certain kind of pattern of sin that I see emerge in Ephesians chapter four. I want you to just see if you can notice this pattern, the kind of sin. We read, therefore each of you must put off falsehood, which means don't lie, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. They may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful to building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We could talk all day about how sin grieves the heart of God, but I noticed the pattern in this passage, and the pattern is, it's not just how we sin against God that grieves His heart, it's how we sin against each other. You have someone living inside of you who feels what God feels. And he wants you and he wants me to feel what God feels. And the reason sin grieves this heart is because sin hurts our relationship with God. But the reason when we sin against each other, the reason that grieves his heart so deeply that he would say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by treating each other unfairly, unkindly with your slander and with your gossip and with your bickering and with your fighting. The reason that grieves the heart of God so deeply is it's not just that God hurts when we hurt each other, it's that everybody hurts. And that's because when you were saved, you were forgiven. You were filled with the spirit of God and commissioned to go into all the world and preach a gospel to people that they would encounter Jesus and be saved. You've been sent on mission by God to make heaven full. We have been sent on mission by God to make heaven full. But let me ask you, is a broken and bickering church body going to accomplish the mission or will a spirit-filled and spirit-fueled unified and together church going to accomplish the very purpose that God desires more than any other purpose and that is that every single person in the world would be saved from their sin and set free in Christ Jesus. We're not going to turn this city upside down for Christ if we turn on each other. We've got to love each other and serve each other and be on mission, not against each other, but with each other in order that we might reach our world for Jesus. And it makes sense why it would grieve the heart of God so deeply when you consider both what's at stake. The many who don't know Jesus coming to faith in Jesus because of a unified church or living forever separated from him because the church was so broken, it could never actually do what it was put on the planet to do. You can see why it would grieve the heart of God so deeply when you consider what it cost him. That I can be saved, that we are saved, that we are set free and that we are unified as the body of Christ only by the disunified body of Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. when you consider what it cost him. You see, his heart is grieved right now because some of you, you're still living your life apart from him. And he wants so much for you to know him you would know the the mind of God the will of God his desire for your life that you would live the will the plan the desire of God for your life that you would be saved from sin and set free and cleansed through and through and filled with his Holy Spirit if you are already saved just know this that God's desire for you is to be on mission with him and with his church Because an on-mission, together, unified, spirit-filled, spirit-filled church is only going to lead to more moments like we just celebrated last weekend. 120 people baptized, 122 people baptized. It's going to lead to more moments like we're going to experience right now. Together, as I believe many, many, many people at every single location are going to say yes to Jesus. And your life is forever going to be changed. Come on, can we stand up on our feet at every, every location? Would you take the elements of communion in your hand, the bread, the cup? Bread. that represents what it cost him. His body, beaten, bruised. For you and for me, a cup that represents what was poured out for our salvation, the blood of Jesus that covers all sin. The Bible says we've all sinned. We're all in the same boat. Our sin separates us from God. The wage of our sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. So if you want to be saved, would you close your eyes, bow your head. And if you are saved, let's pray together still. You want to be saved and forgiven, say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me through and through. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I see that it was my cross you bore so that I could live in freedom. It was my shame you wore so that I could stand here in your presence amazed and not ashamed. I trust you. And I receive salvation from you now. If you are saved, just say thank you for salvation and for the gift of your Holy Spirit. May I know your mind, your will, your desires, and feel what you feel. Your heart for the lost, your intention for your church. That I would live the kind of life that makes an eternal and lasting kingdom difference eat the bread and drink the cup in honor and in remembrance of Jesus and what he's done for you and for me. Let's worship him.